our team, we believe that leaders are not born. We believe that they're made. We believe that you go through experiences throughout your life that help you become a leader. A leader is not necessarily someone standing at the front of the room dictating people you know, what to do, where to go. It's not just a man barking orders at people, but it's a more personal experience. It's understanding your strengths and weaknesses. It's understanding how to work with others. I believe leadership is something, good leadership at least, is comes from a place of kindness and love and respect, not only for yourself, but for those around you. And it's bringing together a group of people to solve a common goal. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Listening to how much RJ has gotten done and the maturity with which he speaks, I think you have to work hard to remember the guy's only 21 years old. I found it tremendously inspirational to hear what he's gotten done, as well as gratifying because this project began as a homework assignment in my social entrepreneurship class. Listen, as always, successful leaders, they focus on the other people. And you can hear how RJ is in this a little bit for himself, really working on how to affect other people. Also listen, compare how RJ's approaches with millennials, very hopeful, recalls a lot Frances Hesselbein. You remember her from episode 31. Their view on millennials is very hopeful, very different than what you read in the mainstream media. So I really loved listening to, he started big, iterated and iterated because he ended big, but he had to go through a lot of changes in between. That's pretty typical. So let's listen to RJ talk about his projects and taking on his personal challenge. Welcome to the next Leadership in the Environment podcast episode. I'm here with RJ Kalaf, who is a former student of mine. And normally when I pick people to be someone who's a leader or someone who has experience in leadership, I think of someone who's very experienced. And RJ, by contrast, is a former student of mine. He is still an undergrad at NYU. And in this case, it's the trajectory of his that I think is most important, partly because I think that as far as the environment is concerned, the younger you are today, the more you're going to face the effects of environmental change. It doesn't sound like it's getting better all the time. It sounds like it's getting worse all the time. And so I want to have someone whose trajectory is very strong to see. I think what we'll see from RJ is that youth is not an impediment here. And I hope will be an advantage here. So first, RJ, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm great. So let's see. You and I met about two years ago in my classroom. Yes, sir. And... Since then, you've become, what are the titles? You have a leadership fellow at NYU. Is that the right title? Yeah, yeah. And NYU is a very prestigious, globally known school, but that's not enough, right? Because you're also a 2017 Dalai Lama scholar, Dalai Lama fellow. Fellow, yeah, Dalai Lama fellow. So most people, most people, I think when they think of student leaders, think of people running student organizations on campus and working with other students. Now, you are not on NYU's campus right now, right? No, I'm in uh, the Palestinian West Bank. So tell me about what project you're working on. Where are you and what are you doing? 
Yeah. Um, so right now I'm uh, sitting in a in my apartment in a city called Ramallah, um, and so it's in the Palestinian West Bank. And um, Ramallah is about an hour away from a city called Nablus. And right outside the city called Nablus is a refugee camp called Nuwaskar. And so I'd volunteered in this refugee camp before, about seven years ago. And it was at this refugee camp that I was offered my first cigarette uh, by a 12-year-old kid named Rodei. Now, New Oscar is host to a multitude of problems. There's a 70% unemployment rate. There's absolutely zero police presence. Um, there's high drug abuse. I mean, in absolutely insane levels of poverty. The way the land zoning is, is the Palestinians are not allowed to actually build housings or structures on these lands um, with any permits. So a lot of the foundations of that which they build these buildings on are pretty faulty. So what it matriculates to is a situation where there's three or four story tall buildings on foundations that are really only able to withstand one or two stories worth of, you know, building and materials and all that. It's about a population of 6,000 people and 3,000 of them are youth. And so this refugee camp called New Oscar in Arabic, it translates to military or militant. And if you go back through the history of Palestinian-Israeli politics, after the second intifada or the second uprising by Palestinians, many of the militant fighters that came out of Palestine came out of this refugee camp in the, within this area. And militant or militancy uh, actually literally translates to Oscar. So this refugee camp actually got its name from that simple fact that so many militant fighters come out of this refugee camp. And so kind of in understanding that situation – we looked at a lot of the issues of youth empowerment in the area. A lot of these kids, they don't go to school. They smoke cigarettes. They get involved in gang-related activities. They might find the only way to which that they can grow or prove themselves worthy as a man or as an individual is by lashing out against Israel, by throwing rocks, potentially stabbing people, even just getting in trouble within themselves. Um, there's really high rates of students uh, hurting each other in classrooms, being verbally and physically abusive to one another. So in understanding these issues, we kind of looked at, well, what are some ways in which we can help empower youth to look at other ways to really kind of find a means means out, a way to solve the problems around them and a way to build an internal locus of control. And what that does is it lets you look at your situation and say, hey, I can do something about this. I'm capable. I'm strong. Yeah, this, this situation sucks, but there's something that I can do within me because of the talents that I've been given as an individual. And so leadership is a way that you can actually do that. And our team, we believe that leaders are not born. We believe that they're made. We believe that you go through experiences throughout your life that help you become a leader. A leader is not necessarily someone standing at the front of the room dictating people you know, what to do, where to go. It's not just a man barking orders at people, but it's a more personal experience. It's understanding your strengths and weaknesses. It's understanding how to work with others. I believe leadership is something, good leadership at least, is comes from a place of kindness and love and respect, not only for yourself, but for those around you. And it's bringing together a group of people to solve a common goal. And when you look at the studies, adolescence is a major time for development. It's the time in which you either, it's kind of make it or break it time. You know, you can say it like that. And so if we can intervene with these kids at adolescence, you know, between 13 and 15 years old, where, you know, they're going through some of these most trying development, developmental issues and just kind of show them a definition of leadership that they can buy into, we think we can have profound impacts on their life because so many of them only view leadership as, you know, 
like a military leader or the president. And it's not something that a student sitting in the back of the classroom can really buy into. It's a definition that's only reserved for very few charismatic and maybe forceful individuals, but a definition and view that probably won't help apply to these students. And so in order to do that, it's a week-long summer leadership camp made up of fun, hands-on leadership games and workshops and activities and lessons for a group of students. And beyond that, there's, mentor, there's a mentorship component. So the camp counselors are a group of six local university students who speak English and Arabic who will serve as the camp counselors. They'll serve as the, as the instructors. And after the culmination of the camp, they will transition into a year-round mentorship role, similar to that of Big Brother and Big Sister, but a space for them just to hang out with these students, engage with them, mentor them, really look out for them, and kind of serve as someone that holds them accountable, uh, someone that they can look up to, and someone that can help uh, keep the sustainable impact um, of leadership development for the youth. So you said a lot there. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I just kind of went on the rant. Well, I mean, I couldn't interrupt because it was I wanted to hear what was coming next, what was coming next. I, yeah. I presume that people listening also. So what I'm hearing is a common theme that I've, it's coming up in virtually all the conversations I have with leaders is that in contrast to what a lot of people think of, of like putting on the blue face paint and charging the battle with everyone following, it seems to be much more about the effective leaders. It's much more about the other people. It's rather than feeling like I'm doing it for me, it seems to be much more about I feel compelled to do it because of these others that I must, the, the people that I'm leading, they're actually before me. Yeah, you're absolutely right in that. And if I was doing this project solely for myself to make myself feel good, then I'm missing the point completely. You know, you're not, you're not looking at the community and you're not looking at their unmet needs as something that you can help address, but you're just looking at your own self-fulfillment and your own ego and trying to fill up that. And I think that's detrimental to yourself. You know, you're never going to feel, I think, fully fulfilled and you're not going to really help have a tremendous positive impact on this community if your focus is on you know, how you're going to make yourself feel better or if everything you're doing is solely for yourself. So how did you, having that in mind doesn't mean that you can just get started. I'm guessing there's some bit of awareness, some sense of, it sounds like sense of responsibility that I, I have this easy life here, but that doesn't mean you're going to have an easy time getting started. You might, you could spin your wheels for a long time or you could give up. How did you get started and what keeps you going? Oh man. I mean, when I started, it was a completely different project. I remember talking on the phone with my mom in front of Kmart on Astor Place where I was telling her, man, I want to figure out how I can bring in my passion uh, for Palestine and Palestinian rights and the, the youth in Palestine and, and my skills and leadership. And what, how, do, how do I bring that together, mom? And I think she was just being a good mom and just tr you know trying to help me figure out whatever questions I was having, um, thinking I'm probably just having one of those college crises where I'm trying to find my place in the world and let me guess. And she said, be a lawyer, <laughs> probably be a lawyer. Yeah. Go to law school or get it, go to Stern, get your MBA and just raise money for them or something. I don't know. I mean, but the, the answer that I came to was I'm going to move to the Gaza Strip, live there for two years, and I'm going to develop student councils up and down the Gaza Strip. And now, I mean, that was my plan. Actually, even no, even before that, my plan was I'm just going to write a business plan for the Gaza Strip as to how they should redevelop themselves. And that I thought it was that simple. Like you were just going to tell, oh, here's your answer. You here's Go do your it. Answer. Yeah. You can do it. And I'll be here for two years to help you. You should have just known. Too bad you didn't figure it out on your own, but I figured it out <laughs> for you. Uh -huh. Don't worry. Me, 19-year-old NYU student, 
you know, I got I got all the answers. And then it kind of transitioned into, okay, I'm going to develop student councils up and down the Gaza Strip, and I'm going to live there for two years. And even when I was in your class, Josh, that was largely the focus of the project that I did. You know, if you remember, the project was to design some sort of social venture that brings good. And that was my social venture. I was going to live in the Gaza Strip, and I was going to develop student councils, and it was called the Gaza Strip Youth Development Program. And you know, one of the lessons that you taught us was the importance of going and getting market feedback and acting on that market feedback and adjusting your ideas and, I mean, re- refining it and, and you know, really looking at the unmet needs and seeing how do you properly address these unmet needs. And kind of in doing that, the project switched over from the Gaza Strip to the West Bank because there's just a lot of bureaucratic challenges to the Gaza Strip. I mean, I don't think I would have even been able to get into the Gaza Strip. It's very difficult to get in or out. You know, questioning whether or not I'd be safe in the Gaza Strip, that's another question. And so transitioning to the West Bank and then, you know, asking myself, well, do I really have the resources and, you know, all the the, the emotional and physical energy to live in the West Bank for two years and to carry out this program? You know, how can I start small? How can I really get a base and a foundation uh, to develop it? And so then it it shifted into three refugee camps, each four weeks long. Then it transitioned into one refugee camp, four weeks long. And now we're at one refugee camp, one week long. And then I don't see it as a way as like lowering, like taking an easy way out, but more so really looking at what is the most effective, impactful way, you know, the best use of resources. And what, what am I really physically able to give to this program right now? And that's kind of how the trajectory has gone. And the program is... This is a program that you created. Yeah. You're saying we, so it sounds like how many other people are involved with it? So at this point, you know, that's kind of a tricky question. Um, I think from the main lead Palestine team, you could count me, my, the co-founder, Hannah Benson. She's also a student at NYU and someone who joined our team named Ashraf Hamad. And so he's my cousin as well. He graduated from um, UC or, or Santa Clara, University of Santa Clara, where he has a really profound background in social entrepreneurship in terms of measuring impact and impact assessment. And so between the three of us, we're the main team from the United States. And then I also kind of count in our counselors. So we have six counselors, all from the local university. And we also have the people at the center to which we're implementing the camp. So there's kind of one director. And then beneath him, though, there's five or six people that are there on a constant basis, just really serving as resources to us. So the team now has grown to doing quick math in my head, I mean, almost 20 people. Wow. And is this a fair characterization of the project? It is that you're going to teach skills to avoid violence, but to get the results that other people are using violence for, which include, I, I think it's part of it's just self-expression of I'm a person of value and they want to get that out, but also I want to change the environment that I'm in and empower myself and my community. And you're achieving this through techniques of leadership, of self-leadership, of group leadership, as opposed to throwing rocks and carrying weapons. Absolutely. I think that's a very fair characterization to what we're trying to do. You know, we are building some capabilities within them that in 10 years, when they're the doctors and the teachers and the parents and the the business leaders within the community, they're going to have this foundation of ethical, empowering leadership that will have more profound impacts on the greater community. And in the meantime, these children, these young leaders, these students, 
you know, they have friends. So hopefully this will also create a ripple effect in terms of how they actually engage with their own uh, friend groups. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. And on the affect side, on the emotional side, how does it feel for you? What kind of, and what do you see in them? If, if you're not seeing quantifiable results yet, and even if you expect them to be in a long time, how, how do people feel now? Can you tell? And yourself, yourself too. People are excited. I mean, and, my, and myself, I'm excited. It's, you know, you've been there since the beginning. So, you know, like the two years and the conversations we've had. And it's been a scary process, I would say, honestly, um, in designing this program. Because there's been a lot of moments where I, I, I wake up or in the middle of the day where I say, damn, I'm really in over my head. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is just a big thing that I just don't know how to do. And then you, you breathe and you regroup and you go to your networks and you go to your resources and you just kind of ask for help. And then it all comes back together. So it's really humbling um, to kind of see it all, com- all come together. And I am a pretty religious and spiritual person. So a lot of that I just thank God for, you know, for kind of giving me, I believe, giving me the strength to kind of push forward with this. It's been I, I know for myself, I'm someone where I'll have a lot of ideas and I'll try and tackle a lot of things at one time, but I don't always follow through with them just because I, I get so excited by so many projects, but I just physically can't follow through with them. So one of my prayers and something that I've really made a like focus to is to not allow this project just to be a fading desire or fading interest, but something that I really focus on and see it to the end. So it's, it's exciting. I mean, more than anything, it's exciting to see it come come to fruition. <laughs> I also can't help but comment on a perspective that I've come across a lot lately. Because I, I, one way of characterizing what you're talking about in kind of corporate speak is like cultural change. And I came across a quote recently about how people in corporations view cultural change. The quote was, cultural change is a suicide mission because it's really hard to do. And there's not such clear metrics to go by. It's much easier to like do a discount of cash flow and recommend a certain investment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do cultural change in the environment. And a lot of times I think, you know, as people who listen to this podcast a lot will hear, I've heard me say this before, but I'm glad that we have Elon Musk and people like him doing the entrepreneurial approach to environmental change. And I'm glad that we have Al Gore and politicians doing a political approach and all these different approaches. But I do not see people leading individual people like you and me, in particular, to change the perspective from environmental change is some deprivation and sacrifice that's really hard to do and we should only get people to do these tiny little things. And when you say to people, do this tiny little thing, it implies more is hard, implies that you don't want to do more. Whereas in my experience, what's driving me to do this is that the bigger the change, the better improvement to my life because all these polluting waves are not, I don't find it, now I I don't feel like polluting is like making my life better. And anyway, so Mm -hmm. I can think what we need I think what, what's missing is a, is, is a Martin Luther King of the environment, a Mandela of the environment, a Vaka Havel of the environment, someone to apply leadership principles, not just spreading facts, not just trying to pass laws without popular support, not just to talk about gloom and doom scenarios, but to have people change their views. Okay, so I think of myself as possibly becoming the Martin Luther King of the environment, which is like big talk. And, I, and it kind of feels weird to say it, knowing that 
I also want people to listen to this. And some people are going to be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> but yeah. an important perspective that I, that you made me think of now is that I don't think of myself as Martin Luther King giving the I Have a Dream speech. Think of Martin Luther King during the Montgomery bus boycott. Everyone knows Montgomery bus boycott now, but Montgomery is like a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And a bus boycott, no one knew it would succeed. I mean, we all know Rosa Parks' name now, but no one knew it then. Mm-hmm. He was just a grunt who was trying to get people to not take the bus. That's not a particularly glamorous thing to do. And yeah. he was an outsider. I looked it up. Four months of the year, the daily high is over 90 degrees or like mm. about 90 degrees or higher. Of course, people want to take the bus and not walk. There's no yeah. internet to coordinate people. you got to phone trees and people are going to want to defect and so forth. And I think that a big part of a big path to leadership for a lot of people is what I call the grunt model. You got to do the grunt work. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing now. And it resonates with what you're talking about. It's like you want to give up. You, you don't see a path to the future. Although if you don't do it, you feel compelled. Like if you don't, if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. And you're not trying to change them except to the extent that they want to do what they want to do with the tools that you give them. So exactly. That's really for it's I, I from my perspective, very refreshing. I, I you know, <laughs> can't wait to hear how things go. I something about the way you describe things, I think years from now you're still gonna be doing this. I mean the only thing that would stop you is I guess a lot of success where you're not needed anymore and you move on to something else, but not if you're not done yet, I don't think so you've given up. Is that yeah, we're, it's very inspiring. I mean, when you're in New York, honestly, Josh, you know, when you're in the bubble of Greenwich Village, I have faced, or when I'm in the bubble of Greenwich Village, I have faced more internal pushback and more internal doubt versus when I'm here and just kind of working on it with my hands and with my heart. Um, when you're here, there's just a de- different feeling of vigor about all the work that you're doing. That emotional compulsion and attachment is really, to me, it's such a big part of leadership. It's uh I mean, leadership is about motivations and emotions, I, I think. Not, yeah. I mean, you talked before about you contrasted what you're doing with authority and using authority to lead, which I would call management. I usually find not that effective. Uh, so I'm not surprised to hear this, the passion and that the passion is greater and more fulfilling when you're getting things done. Well, it feels like we're getting things done. We'll see what happens once we actually measure our impact. So talk about impact and measurement and things like that. Now I want to transition <laughs> I, I would love to keep asking you about what's, what you're doing and so forth. And one question, I'm going to leave this question out there. If you want to answer it, answer it. But is age a factor for you? Is it, are, I mean, you, you were 19, so you're 20, 21 now? 21. Actually, now I'm going, to, I'm going to go into this because I think that, I think people who care about the environment, probably the younger you are, probably the more you care because the more the temperature rises globally and the sea levels rise and pollution happens, the more it's going to affect you if you're younger. People who are yeah. 80 today, they're not going to face these things. So, is age a factor? Is, does it slow you down? Does it help you? Does it? How does it affect what you're doing, if, if at all? The way I see it, my generation, the millennials, and you hear a lot of good and bad about millennials, I think we are the most kick-ass generation out there. I think we are creative and we are we have access to resources that no other generation had at, a, at an age in which no other generation had. We are more educated. We read a lot. I mean, there are these, these really impressive studies about millennials. And just kind of comparing to the students that I get to go to school with at NYU, you know, no offense, Josh, I know you're not a millennial, but I mean, there are some really impressive students who are my age out there solving some of these incredible issues. And so the way I see it, my, my age is neither a strength nor a deterrent to my future success 
but it's not, like that has no impact on me. But the truth is, like there are the resources available to me right now as a 21 year old that no other 21 year old in previous generations ever had. And that's a really exciting feeling. And like our world is more connected and that's an awesome feeling. Uh, movements are able to spread in a way that they weren't able to spread before. You're able to spread messages and information and like ideas in a way that you never were able to before. And so the way I see it, my age is not a uh, deterrent or disability in any way at all. Cool. I'm glad to hear that because I have a feeling I'm going to have a lot of old people on my show. I'm sorry to anyone that's not a millennial. You all are <laughs> wonderful people and I appreciate you. Well, I mean, as, as other guests and, and I want to make sure that people who are not older and don't have access to stuff that comes with age, some things only come with age experience and connections to other people who are running things. Okay. So, all right, now I want to switch perhaps a little too abruptly, but I want to talk about the environment. And one of the big things about the show is that I want people who are guests to commit to a personal challenge. And I've told you about it before, but I'll just repeat that the goal is not to try to change the world overnight and to solve the world, all the world's problems. It's not to do anything that I'm trying to get you to do. It's if you have something, but it is to move the needle somewhat, to have some measurable effect on the environment. And it could be global warming. It could be pollution. It could be uh, natural resource, you know, not using up so much natural resources, natural resources. And a lot of people that I talk to, whether on the show or not, when I talk to them about it, they often have something in the back of their mind. Like they've been meaning to not use the air conditioner so much, or they've been meaning to cut down on their meat if, if they live in a place where it's all factory farmed and stuff like that. And it can be short term, but I hope that the mindset that you have when you do it, if you, do, if you choose to take one on, is to, even if you do it short term, then still to think about, maybe I'll keep doing this long term and uh, to put your heart into it, even if you choose to stop later. So have you thought of something that you could do? Yeah. Let me know if this is kind of outside the scope of, of what you're thinking. But so here in Palestine, for example, we've been drinking so many, we've been drinking a lot of water just straight out of water bottles, just because the water here isn't necessarily safe to drink right away, you know, you, with bacteria or whatever. So you got to drink a lot of bottled water. And so it really kind of disgusted me in how much or bottled water that I'm consuming. So I want to make a vow whether as soon as I'm in the States, because here I don't know how quickly I can change it. We're back in the States in three weeks or four weeks to make the change to cut bottled water out of my consumption habits as an individual. Okay. So that sounds like something long-term, but it sounds like something you would also short-term too. Mm. So everyone, I think most people think that the bottles are recyclable. And while in principle they are, I think maybe 80% of them are good, just go straight to landfills. Mm. So it's mostly not, and of the 20% that don't go to landfills, many of those get incinerated, which just puts stuff into the atmosphere. And a lot of that stuff isn't recycled. And even the recycled stuff, which is now we're down to like a single digit percentage, I believe, is mm. it, it's all gets downcycled. So it's not really as useful. It's not really as much reused as you think. So it's basically throwing the stuff away. And when then from the United States, we ship it to third world nations and pay them to take our garbage. Mm. So sorry, to, I was just, you may want to watch that. I'll send you the link. Yeah, no, that sounds interesting. It may help motivate you. So when do you get back? Because I want to, the next step after someone commits to something is to schedule when the next conversation will be to talk about what your experience of it is like. Cool. I get back on the 25th of August. Okay. So that's roughly three, three and a half weeks from now. Uh, three and a half weeks. Yeah. All right. And then after you get back, how long do you think you want to get into it before we talk like a week, two weeks, a month, six months, what seems right. I think the 
if I'm correct, the standard thing for Sidcha is like a month, right? <laughs> Uh, I love that you put that in. So self-imposed <laughs> daily challenging health activity. Everyone should go to sidcha.com and check out the prices on this stuff. Uh, I'm very flattered and honored and I love that you said it. Yeah, I mean, it could be a month, although I have a feeling you'll get into it in a shorter period than that. One of the things I, I hope to come out of this with people that do that take on these challenges is that once they get in their heads, that they will have an experience like me, which is that you do a little bit and they, oh, that works. Oh, why I, I stopped there, but now that I realize I didn't have to stop there, I don't have to stop here either. Yeah. So I'd be curious if that happens. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to share uh, all my reflections. So anything to cover before wrapping up? No, uh, I think just thank you, thank you for giving me the the space to talk about it. And just you always ask really great questions. So any questions that kind of force me to reflect a bit. So so thank you. I think anyone listening, it's like there's not it's not difficult to find very interesting questions because I mean. <laughs> It's hard to stop. I, I mean, I look forward to when you're back and, and we meet in person and we can talk more because I'd like to love, get a lot more details. Absolutely. So I'll close with a note to remind me to remind people that I expect the videos are going to be exciting and thrilling and probably very emotionally, um, probably a mix of what would it be? It's probably going to be frustration followed with uh, hope and expectation. And I, I think people would be pretty impressed with RJ. So thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. Is everybody listening as amazed as I am at the results that RJ is getting? Offline, I've heard some of the challenges of reaching Gaza, reaching the West Bank, being able to connect with these young people, and RJ is doing it, and he's getting other people involved, and the regard that he gets from the people on the ground who've been there, who've seen other styles of leadership, and the effectiveness of what he's doing. So I'm also very interested to hear how, with the achievements that he's done, I think that water bottles are going to be something that is just the beginning of something more. So I really look forward to hearing conversation number two. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and Living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.